Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Animation Conversation. I'm Rusty here with my co-host. What's up, party people? It's your old pal, F. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Animation Conversation. I'm Rusty, and I'm here with... It's your old pal, F. Hey, everybody. Hey, so how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing pretty darn good. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, I've had a significant amount of um, coffee to get me uh, good and wired. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got I, some uh, here myself. I, I just I just had a little uh, chat with some of our uh, future listeners on the uh, Twitter spaces, so I'm all... Uh, I'm all nice and ready to talk somebody's ear off. So uh, what do you say we get to it? Yeah, let's go for it. So what do you got for us? Well, I, th- I thought, you know, what I thought would be interesting is uh, I-, I feel like a lot of people have an impression of what the animation industry is like. And I wanted to compare that to what it actually is. So I wanted to ask you now, I'm sure you've got a better perspective now that you've been sort of doing this for a while. But what, you know, what has your impression always been on what it's like to work in animation. Well, before, you know, to take away what I know of it, you know, let's get, let's put it to like a a fresh perspective. So like my perception of it versus the reality would be something like animation is just sitting there drawing cartoons all day, you know, not thinking about the entire process where there's storyboarding and character development and layout and software, animation software, modeling and compositing and all this stuff, you know, you don't really think about all of the things that go into it, you just think about the finished product most of the time. So you're just like, oh, that can't be too hard. They're just drawing cartoons all day. You know, that's what you think about as a kid when, you, when you're when you sitting there watching it. You're like, this has to be really simple to make. Because, uh, uh, you know, it wasn't really uh, as appreciated as an art form for a lot of years. You know, it was just a kiddie thing, you know, just something on the side kind of thing. So uh, it's not something that was perceived as being very difficult to do, you know, uh, that 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 I don't, I didn't think it was difficult until I knew all of the technology and processes behind it. Yeah. And that's, that's what most people think. And, and again, you, you strike me as someone who's always at least, you know, a little bit curious anyway, and you, you were probably sort of open and, and uh, keen to uh, question while watching cartoons, even at a young age, you were probably like, Oh gee, I wonder how that's done. Most people don't even think that far ahead. You know, yeah, they just, yeah, yeah. By the way, they just watch by it. The way, yeah. yeah. By the way, bless your hearts because you know, if, if we're doing our jobs right, you shouldn't be sitting there thinking about, Ooh, I wonder how this is made or I wonder how <laughs> yeah. this is. just be enjoying the yeah, story. It's not a normal thought process for a child to, when they're watching a cartoon to think, hmm, or, or I wonder how else. they do that. Yeah. Yeah. Or anybody else for that matter. Most, most people just, you know, when they sit down to be entertained, they just want to be entertained. entertained. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, poo pooing the idea of not being curious about it, but again, because cartoons are so sort of intrinsically fantastical and fun, 
the average person I feel like watches them and they they just go, oh my goodness, how fun that must be. Oh, that yeah, just that just must be so much fun day in and day out. And uh, you know, I'm I'm here to I'm here to tell you. Um, look, first of all, let me preface this by saying nobody should feel sorry for us. You know, nobody, particularly me, I've had a great career. Nobody should feel sorry for me. There are way worse ways to make a living and I've done them. You know, I've worked, I've worked some really back, I've washed dishes, I've unloaded trucks, I've dug ditches. I've done all kinds of like, you know, backbreaking labor in my time. So I am, you know, anytime you hear me talk about this stuff, don't ever, mistake it for complaining you know i would never complain i've had this you know my my career has been one blessing after another that said animation is really hard you know there's a and like you said there's a lot that goes into it that people just probably don't even comprehend just to get a single cartoon made and um yeah just to interject here real quickly that was another yeah. uh, that was another perception too so not just like the fact that you're just drawing cartoons all day but the fact that a lot of people think that uh there's some people that may perceive it as being something that is easy and extremely fun and stuff but you know there's there's a lot of demands that have to be met you know you've got the hours you have to you know you meet you have the intense attention to detail uh on top of deadlines and all that kind of stuff and then the competitiveness of being and older like as you age you've got the younger talent coming up and stuff like that and you have to worry about competition yeah. and then you have to vie for the limited job opportunities that there are within the industry and stuff like that so i, I feel like a lot of, a lot of people uh uh underestimate the pressures and stuff like that that are that are behind the scenes behind behind the art you know outside of the art all the other pressures and stuff that you have to deal with because if you could just create the amount of amazing stuff that would be out there right now would be it would just be mind-boggling how many great things we would have from some creators if they were just allowed to just create <laughs> yeah 100 and that's that's a thing you know you think about animation and you go oh drawing they're artists you know but then you think about um you know where most cartoons are made and you go, oh, it's Hollywood, you know? And so it's show business. Yeah. And the the fact is, it's a little bit of both those things. It's like, yes, you know, everyone working, you know, at least in the drawing aspect of animation and even in music, sound, editing, these are all artists. You know, these are all people who either aspired to or went to school for filmmaking, art, you know, uh, uh, editing, you know, all, all music, sound, all these different things. These, these are all artistic people. And suddenly you're throwing them all together in a giant kettle and saying, okay, now play nice and make me a cartoon. <laughs> and the thing to remember is once again, you know, forget about just the, the people who draw, it's a bunch of artists and my goodness, artists can be persnickety little bastards you know we we can artists can be a lot of egos really difficult i imagine i imagine if you have three people in the room it would be like 30 people in the room with the size of the egos yeah yeah well and and even you know even beyond egos and my goodness yes there are egos um but even even with the best of of people you know even even though i you know i like to think that i went into it with very little ego because i had no track record and nobody knew you know anything about me but there's still that artist sensibility you know it's we're we're we tend to be a sensitive 
lot you know we tend to you know be we can be temperamental especially when it comes to and that's one of the first things right out of the gate that you got to get used to is you know you're not just sitting around drawing at your own pace you're drawing at the pace that is necessary to get finished on time and you've got someone above you looking at your precious drawings and i'm sorry but every single time you draw something you're giving a little tiny piece of yourself like to the world oh absolutely yeah any uh, and then, like, and that's then what the some... art period yeah whenever you put your art out there you're giving yeah. a piece of yourself for sure just then like to right have now someone then to have someone look at that and go no that's wrong <laughs> it's you know that's yeah, troubling it took, yeah, yeah yeah it took some real getting used to and then add to on top of that you know people don't think about this very often but animation is part of the entertainment industry oh absolutely yeah and and you know i always refer to it as the redheaded stepchild of the animation industry and as much as you know, in my time living in Los Angeles, to me, it became like just sort of really painfully apparent that, um, you know, in in terms of the entertainment industry, animation was the lowest rung on that ladder. You know, like talk radio was above yeah, us. Absolutely. And that's and that's what like I, I like to see now how big animation has become. And I think it's uh, the, a lot of the adult animation and stuff like that really helped with it. But uh, I'm ready to see, honestly, I'm ready to see the new direction with cartoon network, this new, new uh, pure animation direction that they, they, they're going back to like the roots kind of thing. Cause the roots of cartoon network are huge, huge for me and the TV that I watched as a kid, uh, especially with uh, Space Ghost Coast to Coast. Like, I loved late night TV, period. Like, yeah. but that right there really changed a lot of a lot of uh, different things for me for, for, like, my comedy perspective and, like, what ended up setting up uh, my comedy tastes. And, uh, like, like, I'm really, I'm really, I'm really, interested to see what happens with the entire network now that they're moving in this this new direction but you did mention something about uh you give your art and your art gets criticized and torn apart and stuff like that so that's another thing that a lot of people really don't understand uh about uh, uh animation and you know creating cartoons and things like that and creating a product for for you know the entertainment industry as you as as you called it so uh animators don't you know they they don't get to be, you know, as creative as you want. You don't get to come up with all of your own ideas. So you get to have, you know, some relative, you know, that you're there to put creative input into it and projects and stuff like that. But you have the constraints of the style, the the story, the client brief. You know, you have to keep everything within the vision of the director or the producer and what they want. So you have to play within the color within the lines, you know, if you will. So you, you don't get to, you know, a lot of people think okay well if my cartoon gets picked up yeah but it might get picked up but the director the producer the company they get to decide the direction and everything goes yeah you created the characters you created the feel you created maybe some of the atmosphere and the emotion of it but a lot of everything else gets created you know based upon how well it does in a test or how well it does yeah. in, in things like that so uh yeah you know yeah, it's, it's, it's tough Draw, coloring within the lines is really a, a pretty a pretty brilliant uh, metaphor because that's exactly it. When I, you know, my first real, real, real studio job was on the Wild Thornberries at Klasky Chupo. And, you know, you would look at that show and because of the design style, you know, the design style is very 
quote unquote cartoony in that they they certainly don't look realistic. Um, no, absolutely not. The, I've seen people with I've seen some British guys with big noses, but I don't think I've ever yeah, seen one that exaggerated. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. Nigel Thornberry is a bitch to draw, but but he's also fun to draw. But also the, a fun the, character. He's a, I like, oh, his, he's, I like he's his great. Character. I, lo- he's I awesome. loved, I loved, uh, anytime I had Nigel in anything, it was, it was always fun, except he was so damned hard to draw. And that's, that's what I'm getting at. It's like, <laughs> again, I, I grew up with Bugs Bunny and Woody Woodpecker and underdog and stuff like that. That's what I was, you know, setting myself up to draw. And then suddenly you know, this model sheet of Nigel Thornberry is put in front of me. And I mean, you know, everyone do a quick Google search of Nigel Thornberry's head and just try and draw that about 3000 times. It's (laughs) it's really complicated. And the thing is, if you didn't get it just right, it got handed back to you and you were told, no, this is off model. You need to put this on model. And that's that's why the metaphor of of coloring in the lines is so is so perfect because yeah you know everyone comes out of you know every artist sort of walks around with their own style in their head and one of the things you need in animation is the ability to sort of become a a visual comedian comedian chameleon and draw in lots of different styles and and I was prepared for that but I wasn't prepared for the style of like the wild thornberries that was just so far removed from every cartoon that I ever grew up with. I was just like, oh my gosh, what am I even supposed to do here? And, you know, my directors would always complain that my storyboards were off model. I was always drawing the feet too big, the hands too big. I was doing too too cartoony stuff. And um, which is, but again, that's something that, that as an artist in the industry, that's what's expected of you. You know, you, you don't get to make every show your own. And and um, that's why right away I was like, wow, you know, I, I really have to color in in the lines. But what you wind up doing um, as as someone in the industry or as an artist is despite the fact that you have this very, 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 very small sandbox playing, you find tiny little ways that you can sort of inject yourself into the work that you do. And I mean, tiny. But they're there. But that's that's yeah. kind of the only way you you make it satisfying, like at all. Yeah. So, uh, and that's this is another one too. Uh, that another point that I had here. So for for about perception. So a lot of people might perceive it to be like an extremely glamorous job. You know, I'm sure there <laughs> are. I'm sure there are some perks to it. But you know, you know, getting uh you know work on high profile projects or. Uh, maybe in attending a premiere and stuff like that and getting to be a part of some of those things. But like the day to day is really just like, especially in the day and age that we live in now, you're just, you're sitting in front of a computer for, you know, 12 hours a day, like cranking out yeah. animation, you know, cranking out drawings after drawing, yeah. after drawing. So no, you're, it's you're, really you're, mundane. You're, yeah. Like something like that. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah you're you're yeah, sitting in front of one of these things. Beautiful. I love it. Staring into it. And I love it. Um, yeah. And that's, that's 100% true that, you know, the, the people in the industry who get the most, at least in animation terms, the first question everybody always has about it is, do you get to meet the voice talent? Do you go, who does the voices? Where are the voice? Everyone always wants to know about the voices. Yeah, the voice. And by the way, I get that 
because it's the easiest part of the whole pipeline to understand, you know, and it's, it's the part where, um, you know, it's, it's not complicated and it's, it's like, it's the acting and the telling of jokes and all that sort of stuff. So it's, you know, people are always fascinated by that. One of the things that I encountered really early on um, after I started as a storyboard artist is, you know, I, I, I went home for Christmas that first year back in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and people would say, oh, what, you know, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm, I'm working on a cartoon for Nickelodeon. And like, oh, wow. So are you making the actual drawings that appear on the screen? I'm like, no, I'm a storyboard artist. And nobody knows what that means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of they people don't, don't know what storyboard artist is. Yeah. That as a storyboard artist, I outrank the guy who's doing the actual drawings that appear on the screen. Like yeah, they for want sure. And but and you try and explain storyboarding to just the average person and it it just goes It doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, it doesn't. Like whenever I first was uh when I looked at it from a surface, you know, you know, just the straight up uh Merriam Webster definition of what a storyboard artist is, it really mm -hmm. is just not, you know, it's just not it's very vague it's not 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 very much description and uh yeah so when i first was like looking at the surface of it, i really was confused as to what actually a storyboard artist even even does yeah it's it's one of those things that well it's it, it it's kind of impossible to explain in any sort of quick and <laughs> yeah. easy fashion because yeah. every um every show has a different need for their storyboard artists like every show has a different style that they that they take with their storyboards and so you know there's no one solid explanation as to yeah what a well that's the way i always like perceived it is it's like the jack of all trades it's it's yeah. the it's the guy who knows a little bit about everything to put it all together in a neat way to put it into a you know put it out there as a, as a finished product kind of thing that's the way i always saw it. it it was it was like a builder if you will it's the guy who yeah. all right i've got the bricks i've got the mortar yeah. you know let's put the bricks and the mortar up and then you know let's do this let's put the electricity in let's put the the yeah. plumbing in that kind of thing that's the way i always uh always kind of uh uh the analogy that always comes to my mind when i think of a storyboard artist yeah that's the well and that's the thing even after i became a director um, you know, I, I'll be the first to say, and this is just my, this is just my impression and this is just my opinion, but in my opinion, um, storyboarding is way more important than directing. Like you can have, you can have a terrible director, but if you've got a great storyboard artist, then the cartoon will. Well, it's like pre-direction though, right? Like pretty much what a storyboard artist is doing pre-direction. It's like you're, you're setting yeah. everything up and then the director just does little tweaks and things like that as it goes along. Right. Is that pretty much how it goes? Well, yeah. And that's, that's the problem is now, now animation directors or directors in animation, because those are two different things. Absolutely. Tangent I could go down, but um, you know, if you were to translate this into live action terms you know, the director would be the director and then the storyboard artist would be almost be the assistant director. Um, yeah. So, so, you know, st again, storyboard artists, it, it just, it, it encompasses so much of the process. Like uh, these days when I'm working as a storyboard artist and people ask me, Oh, what do you, what do you do? You know, I, I just say I make cartoons because that's, that's what the storyboard artist does. The yeah, storyboard absolutely. artist makes the cartoon. Now the, before I start getting a bunch of people angry at me, that is to take nothing away from anybody else 
in the process. And and by the way, I don't think I'm stepping on any toes here because every time, you know, I worked as a storyboard artist, I was always buddies with like the character designers and the prop designers and background designers and, and even, you know, other directors and editors and sound people and production assistants, all these people. And they would all look at the board artists like, I don't know how the hell you guys do it. Like yeah. they, they just didn't get it. Um, and they didn't, they didn't try and get it. And look, I hate to say it, but that's kind of, that's kind of the appropriate attitude because the board artist makes the cartoon. And when, when you're a director and you get handed a show, man, the first thing you got to think about is, Oh my God, I got to get the very best storyboard artist I can. Um, and that, again, that's, that's one of the things, like I said, when you think when the average person thinks about animation, they don't think about storyboard artists, you know, and they don't even think about directors, you know, they just think the the people sit down and they draw out the cartoon, they don't realize, you know, just how much planning and how and so much of that hinges on the board artist. Yeah, absolutely. No, definitely. Yeah. Uh, I guess the last point I really had, I didn't really have a whole lot uh, of, of, uh, points but the last point a lot of people think that uh with the glamour comes money and fame and things like that <laughs> which which i know that there is a certain level of uh comfortability that you get once you're established in the industry for sure but like when you're first starting out it, it's all like it's all you know it's all contract work anyway but like you're 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 scrambling at the bottom level with an you know a yeah. hundred other hungry dogs if you will and you're all fighting for what amounts to scraps and uh it's all about getting the experience and stuff like that which well a lot of people are like well how does somebody you know eat off of exposure and stuff like that well you know a lot of people don't get to eat off of exposure but (laughs) you have to get the experience kind of in there you have to uh eat a couple ramen noodle cups and some hot dogs with cheese wrapped around them you know what i mean to get the calories going and and that's just a part of anything nothing that is worth doing is going to be easy so uh yeah. What is, what is your perspective on? Uh, uh, I don't really like to pry into that, but I think that's an interesting perspective no, for a lot no, of these it's... young kids uh, out here doing this animation. And because I think a lot a lot of people get discouraged when they get that first paycheck from doing a, their <laughs> first project, and they're like, "Well, he made you know I I, I put in a, a big hearty meat worth of effort, and all I got was beans back." You know, so it's right. so it's uh, so it could be you know sometimes it's, uh, it could be distressing for people. Well, it's it's funny, and I, I think I can talk about this pretty openly, seeing as how you know, the, for me, this is all twenty five years ago. So yeah, you know, it's not like I'm exposing anything that is going to set the world on fire. But um, you know, first of all, in terms of glamour, animation has gotten significantly more hip and more cool and more glamorous. So comparing today, you know, today saying that you. You know, if you if you walk into a room and say, hey, I do storyboards for American Dad or I do, you know, character design for Rick and Morty, people are wildly impressed. Oh, yeah. No, I'm going to go ahead and talk on that real quick. So I have talked about this podcast with every human being that has crossed my path for the last, you know, few weeks. And whenever I mention that I'm doing it with the storyboard guy from 
Fairly Odd Parents, they're like, well, how'd you get that guy to talk to you? You know, how did you manage to do that? So, no, I totally understand what you're saying. Yeah, it's it's yeah. definitely different because I think what makes it different is a lot of that era of cartoons from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, a lot of these, we all have disposable income now. We all have money yeah. that we can spend on whatever we want. And uh, a lot of the ones that were impoverished now have money. They can now go yeah. spend money on the things that they couldn't when yeah. they were childhood. So they're reliving their childhoods. Yeah. Now they're in their 30s and 40s. And I think that's what a lot of uh, a lot of this is, uh, yeah. this, this niche type of yeah. stuff. And that's why I think podcasts are thriving right now is because that's all this niche stuff. And a lot of it is speaking to the audience, you know, the, the millennial audience and they're getting to relive their childhood because they have yeah. a boy meets world podcast that has the right. cast of boy meets world. They, you know, they're doing all these, uh, I think, uh, uh, even iCarly, I think they have a podcast where they oh, go through no the show, you know, so there's all these, podcasts are coming around and all this stuff and yeah. i like that uh we could be a central location for all of those different things you know so i don't know well, again, i like it i like it man i i know i'm not i know i'm not saying anything revolutionary when i say yeah. that the internet changed everything but the internet changed everything oh, like it, did. it really did um you know when when i was working on the fairly odd parents or chalk zone or invader zim or anything like that you know they're there was no way to sort of discern if anyone was liking the show apart from, you know, maybe ratings. Yeah, absolutely. And there, you know, the internet, even though it was around, it was still pretty young. And yeah, there were a couple of news groups here and there, but you know, there were, there were no, you know, right now there's probably like 500 invader Zim websites and chat and, and just everything devoted to invader Zim and talking about how much. Oh, they it's like huge. Yeah. Invader Zim is huge. Yeah. So, so now you know, you can you can go on Twitter and or, or on Discord and say, hey, I worked on Dora the Explorer and 50 people will rush you and be like, oh, my gosh, I grew up with that. And that's the other part of it is, you know, the the people that I was working to entertain are now in their early 30s or late 20s or whatever. Yeah. And they were for, you know, you guys were fortunate enough to grow up in a time when there were a lot of good cartoons. A lot of great, like, it was crazy how many cartoons, well, because we, I grew up in the era when, at, I, I grew up at the beginning of yeah. Nickelodeon, the beginning yeah. of Cartoon Network, uh, the beginning of Boomerang even, because I loved Boomerang. Right. Boomerang is actually probably the channel I liked the most until they, they kind of, they kind of don't air the stuff that I like anymore, so I don't watch it anymore. But, uh, yeah, so it's I we grew up in that like you said we grew up in that era where there were just so many good cartoons. So well, many the good result, cartoons. The result of that is, you know, you guys all grew up with a great impression of cartoons. You know, you grew up and cartoons were a, a good thing in your heads. And so consequently, even though you outgrew, you know, watching kids cartoons, as you all became adults, you said to yourselves, "Well, wait a minute, we want more." But we yeah, want yeah. stuff that's we want stuff that's geared to us. And that's where you got The Simpsons, The King of the Hill, Family Guy, American Dad, Rick and Morty, stuff like that. And that's why, in my opinion, from what I can tell, that's that's why the adult animation boom happened was because of Nickelodeon and because of Cartoon Network and because oh, they, of Yeah, you can't forget Adult Swim. Yeah, they created adult, a whole ton well, of stuff. Well, sure, but I'm talking about like before that. Oh, before all that. You guys, yeah, yeah, yeah. Grew, you guys grew up loving cartoons. A lot of yeah. a lot of people in the 70s and 80s cartoons were rough. Cartoons were not that good for a lot of that 
period of time. And so, yeah, some people grew up watching, you know, Transformers or something like that, and they've got good memories of it, but that didn't lead them into adulthood saying, you know, Ooh, I gotta, I want to watch more cartoons. Whereas yeah, you I think my dad's really an anomaly. Then I think my dad's an anomaly. My dad really, uh, he liked a lot of cartoons. So the reason why I probably watch cartoons a lot now as an adult too, was when I was a little kid, my dad didn't have an aversion to watching cartoons. So usually right. on a Saturday morning, cartoons would end whenever the parents came in the room and changed the channel, whatever they wanted to watch. Well, when I was a kid, my right. dad would let us, he would sit there and a- actively enjoy watching through the cartoons and I think a lot of it was is my dad grew up pretty poor and they didn't get a TV until he was like probably like 9 or 10 he didn't get a TV till like 1970 right so uh, he, he missed a lot of cartoons. So he's a heavy, even now is even now he just really likes to watch right. movies and cartoons and stuff. But, uh, I remember sitting there watching gargoyles and stuff with them in the bat and the early Batman, the Batman oh, yeah. animated series and stuff like that. But see that, that just makes the time that the, you know, mid nineties came along cartoons had gotten good again. You know, um, if, uh, you know, if I had tried to, get my dad to sit and watch cartoons with me with the cartoons that I was growing up oh, with. Oh yeah, there was there was no way. Yeah. I mean, my dad my my dad is not going to sit and watch, you know, Charlie Chan and the Chan Clan or Speed Buggy or some of the just really horrible Saturday morning stuff that that I had to endure. So, you know, again, a lot of people from my generation didn't grow up and become grown-ups and go, "Well, where are my cartoons now?" whereas your generation grew up with great cartoons amazing and so as adults you're like okay let's you know keep it coming keep it coming but now let's have some that are geared for an adult sensibility not only so- did we grow up with cartoons we grew up with cartoons that grew up with us ren and stimpy when i first watched it as a kid was this mild tame thing kind well not not mild or tame but it was tame enough to be on children's television and then by the time i'm a uh, by the time i'm in high school or junior high it's on spike tv and it's just this yeah. wild raucous profane show so like even yeah. some of these shows that started out you know that some of them even grew up with this so it's like yeah, yeah. You know, it's Cartoons are wild. The thing is now is it's the animation as a thing in the world has become a perpetual motion machine. You know, uh, kids watch cartoons, adults watch cartoons, then kids who become adults watch cartoons. And their kids watch cartoons and et cetera. So Yeah, absolutely. And that didn't exist before. And I, I do think that that's what has sort of brought us to where we are today, where everybody enjoys animation everybody enjoys you know there's there's something out there for everybody and you know it's it's a great even though the the industry itself itself goes in slumps and peaks and valleys and stuff we have gotten past i believe the point where anybody ever really seriously says cartoons are for kids yeah, absolutely. I had a really, I got a really kind of unique perspective too, because I grew up for the first six years of my life in England. So mm-hmm. I got, I got a lot of British like, you know, <laughs> shows when I was a kid. So there was a lot of animation over there and the animation at that time was different over there than it was in the States. Animation over there was a lot of stop motion animation, a lot of claymation. When I was a kid watching stuff, uh, a lot of the shows I watched were like uh, Postman Pat, uh, there was mm-hmm. a show called Naughty. Uh, I know about Naughty, sure. Uh, of course, you had uh, Ringo Starr 
on uh, Thomas the Tank Engine at that time. Yeah, uh, I used to watch a lot of that. But I, I and that's that's why I think I really like stop. I, I really appreciate stop motion animation and claymation. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I appreciate both because both styles, you know, it doing doing it on drawing and then doing it like that, they're both equally challenging. They both have yeah. their own challenges. But uh, I really, really, really like a lot of the Wallace and Gromit stuff too. Yeah, I oh, really Wallace just love. I just love Wallace and Gromit and uh, the California Raisin stuff too. Yeah. Uh, the guy, I can't remember his name, but he's somebody we'll eventually have a conversation about. Uh, he went to uh, University of Oregon, I think is where he went to. He was the mm-hmm. guy who like invented stop motion animation or claymation. Or, I think it was claymation he invented or something like that. Mm-hmm. But he's the guy who did uh, the California Raisins and stuff like that. He was the main guy wow. to create all that. But that's that's some of my favorite stuff. I really, really love uh, Wallace and Gromit. Is just, I don't know, it's just great. Yeah, it's no, Ardman animation, Wallace and Gromit in general. I mean, that's their their um you know their royalty their animation royalty you know they there are it's it's funny um and we're getting off on a whole different thing but who cares yeah yeah, yeah. that's what it's all about there, yeah. there are there are certain there are certain factions in the entire animation community that sort of cross party lines and all you have to do is mention the name studio ghibli and everyone, it's a hushed reverence. Yeah, 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 it is. All you have to do is mention Ardman Animation, Wallace and Gromit, and it's hushed. Oh, yeah. Which, uh, not to interrupt you, but if anybody from Studio Ghibli or anybody from Ardmore uh, happens to uh, hear this podcast in any way, shape, or form, <laughs> we would love to have you on and have a conversation <laughs> with you. That'd be great. Oh, man. Would we ever? It's, yeah, it, it's, and that was, you know, that was kind of one of the things um, that that people probably don't think about a lot as well is that animation is this big legacy medium you know that when absolutely and um you know when you talk about disney one of the first things you hear about is the nine old men the nine old men yeah yeah i was just actually it's funny you mentioned that i was just reading about them and watching videos on them last night yeah that they were for those who don't know they were walt disney's top nine key animators who really just made the studio what it is and made made the entire you know not only that some of them worked all the way up until like 2001 on disney oh absolutely yeah what's crazy about these nine old men is they were there from like the 30s all the way to like 2001 so yeah yeah um it's a long career to be doing like i couldn't imagine how sore their hands and how arthritic their hands must have been from doing it in such a non-ergonomic way i imagine the ergonomics are a lot better nowadays than they were for the for the earliest of animators from the 30s but uh i could imagine their hands were gnarled (laughs) well what's funny about those guys and by the way i've i've met uh frank thomas and ollie johnson two of wow of the nine old men wow um Shared a bathroom with him. I'll tell <laughs> that story awesome. on another podcast. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah, no, I but, can't wait. <laughs> but, um, well, no, you know, what the hell? I'll tell it on this podcast. Yeah, we got plenty. Was, of, we, got, we, got, we still got a good 20, 25 minutes. There was, there was um, some sort of, oh, I know what it was. It was, um, there was a, uh, well, they were being honored uh, at the Directors Guild in Los Angeles. They were, they were. And so they should be, yeah. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, they were being honored. Yeah. They were given a, a night with Frank and Ollie. 
And uh, this was kind of, you know, at the height of this, probably around 2001 or so. So this was kind of at the height of my Fairly Odd Parents days. And, you know, if there was an animation event going on, I could get into it. And so I, you bet your ass, I got myself uh, a ticket to go, uh, you know, see a talk with Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnson. Yeah, 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 for sure. What was what was great about it is it was Frank and Ollie, and they were going to be basically interviewed by Glenn Keane, who is another just you know rock star Disney animator. He he did like he did Tarzan, he did Beauty and the Beast, he did you know Hunchback of Notre Dame. He did he he was just one of their big key animators, and so it was it was these three heavy hitters having a talk on stage, and man, it was a packed house and. Everyone was just like, "Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, Frank and Ollie, Frank and Ollie, Frank and Ollie," and me too. Yeah, that's I mean, great. No, that's, I can't, yeah, you, can't you, believe I'm here. Can't get any bigger than that. And when it comes to animation, no, I mean, no, Snow and, White and the Seven Dwarfs—they launched an yeah, entire yeah. industry I mean, off built, of that. Yeah. That built Walt Disney. That built yeah. the, the empire. And so I'm there. I'm kind of walking around. I'm, I'm, you know, everyone's sort of shuffling around, waiting to take their seats and everything like that. And I'm dressed up. Everyone's dressed up. It's a big, it's a gala event. And um, I was like, oh, it's it's going to start in about 15 minutes. So I'm going to go to the bathroom. Because the last thing I'm going to want is to be sitting there needing to pee when Frank and Ollie are talking. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah, you don't want to do that. So I start heading towards the bathroom. And um, just as I'm approaching the door... I see two guys being pushed in wheelchairs into the bathroom. And because I'm only about 30 and because I'm an asshole, um, as these two guys in wheelchairs are being pushed into the bathroom, I'm thinking to myself, oh, this is going to take forever. And I'm in a hurry. I want to get in and out of there so I can, you know, listen to Ollie and uh, Frank talk. Oh, come on, you guys move, 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 move. So they finally get in and then I get in right behind them and it's Frank and Ollie. <laughs> he was trying to rush past them and it was them. <laughs> right. So of oh, course, immediately that's I'm good. calling myself every name in the book. I'm yeah, like, absolutely. You are a, oh my God. So I'm, I'm like beating myself up. And so I'm in the bathroom with Frank and Ollie and I'm thinking, of, oh my God, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And, and so I'm, you know, I'm standing there at the urinal and I'm doing my business and, and they had two helpers with them, uh, you know, helping them use the bathroom as, as one does when one is in one's nineties, you know? Yeah. 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 And they just, they just sounded so weak and so feeble and so frail and fragile. And I'm, I'm standing there peeing and thinking to myself, oh my goodness, this is sad. This is heart wrenching. And, you know, I hear I hear one of them go, you know, OK, we're all done, Frank. Do you want to wait for Ollie? He's like, yeah, let's wait for Ollie. And. And like I said, the whole time, like I said, being a young douche, yeah. I'm, just feeling, I'm feeling all kinds of pity for them. I'm just like, oh, these poor, these poor, unfortunate souls. And uh, I'm just like, wow, this this is going to probably be live like kings. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> these poor, and, unfortunate and again, souls that they I, shit on gold toilets. 
in defense of myself, my my feelings for them were out of reverence. Like I felt bad yeah, because yeah, yeah. I, no, you they're, know, they're they're royalty. They've they're created really some of my royalty. favorite stuff. Actually, uh, my favorite Disney movie ever is really one that a lot of people don't even know about. Uh, is from 1948, and a lot of the reason why a lot of people don't know about it is because it came right, it came out right after the war and all that kind of stuff. And uh-huh. it was uh, it's a it's about a small southern town. It's a it's got a little boy that lives with his grandma. It's called So Dear to My Heart. That oh, is no, my all time favorite Disney movie. It's about a little boy that uh, there's he lives with his grandma on a farm, and one of the 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 the, the lambs, or one of the sheep on the farm has a black lamb. And she won't take I care of it. This. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he wants to take care of the lamb, and he ends up the lamb just tears everything up in the town and all that. It right. ends up being a boy. It's a ram, and he ends up putting it in a uh, 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 county fair contest or whatever. But yeah, no, that's that's my favorite Disney movie. See, and that's that's a thing. Those the the nine old men and and all those animators and all this stuff. They they did work on some stuff that what not every single thing they did was a huge hit. No, it wasn't big. big Yeah, not at all. That's what was great about Disney at the time was they were they were keen to experiment. So anyway, let me finish Frank and Ollie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So I'm I'm in the bathroom. Frank and Ollie are doing their business. I'm doing mine. And the whole time I'm thinking to myself, this is going to be a rough night because watching these two try and answer questions and try and get through. Like, I I just thought they were going to be sitting there. Yes, well. I remember when I first met Walt. And I, I, I again, I just thought, oh, this is yeah. this is going to be painful. So I go out. I sit in my seat, and I forgot who I went to this thing with. But I, but I looked at her and I said, I just saw freaking Ali. Oh my god! So, so, but I was like, and they look like they might die tonight. And, and she's like, what? I'm like, never mind, never mind. But again, the whole time I'm expecting them to get wheeled out there and just, you know, just yeah. wither as as we watch. And much to my delighted surprise, <clears throat> you know, the, the evening starts, Glenn King comes out, introduces them. They they come on out. And the minute Glenn starts answering questions, the two of them come alive and they're just like, oh, back in the day. And da 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 and that's when I was like, John, you, you stupid fool, you, you know, uh, they, they were in fact, incredibly animated. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And they were in their nineties at the time. So, you know, it was just, it was a great little lesson for me. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny while I was in the bathroom, I, I kept thinking to myself, do I say anything? Should I, should I say anything to these guys? Cause they're, you know, they're legends and I, I would love nothing more than to, you know, shake their hands, but we're in a bathroom. <laughs> no one's going to want to shake hands with anybody. So, but anyway, that, I just, I just thought that was an amazing thing that, you know, um, even at that age, uh, and, and they talked for hours and it was amazing. And they had all kinds of perspective and wisdom and all that stuff that, uh, I just walked away from it, a, a changed individual, because not only did I get to hear Frank and Ollie speak, uh, I got a little lesson in humility of my own after sharing. Yeah, yeah, about yeah, it. absolutely. Yeah. We all need those, uh, we all need those be humbled every now and again. 
uh, I actually have uh, ordered their book, uh, Johnson and Thomas, in 1982. They after they retired, they published that uh, uh, Disney animation, The Illusion of Life, which sets the yeah. twelve basic principles of animation. Which uh, I've read a lot of reviews on it, so I, I feel like I can recommend it. So anybody out there that's like studying animation or just like curious about animation, go check go check that book out. Uh, oh, I've yeah. read a lot I've of great a, things um, about it. I watched a little video about it too, and everything. So. Uh, Disney animation, the illusion of life is what it's called. Yeah. And it, and it lays out the, uh, the refined 12 basic principles of animation that the nine old men, uh, kind of adhered to, uh, while they were at Disney, they all kind of created this, uh, 12, uh, the, the refined process of the 12 principles yeah. of animation. No, it's, it's considered, it's considered the Bible. Like, and I've, I've got my copy that, um, I bought mine at a time when I, I don't know if they're printing new ones or, or what, but I got a, a, a very early edition of it. And this was when I was making really good money. And I think I paid like $300 for mine, but it's, it's an absolute must. It's something you, if you're an, if you're serious about being an animator, being an animation, um, you have to, you have to read it and you have to learn it. And that's the thing it's it, this, you know, sort of dovetails into a excellent point is, you know, because animation has gotten cooler and because animation is now considered a viable career option and there are schools for it and there's all kinds of online courses and things you can take, you know, uh, and because it's gotten cooler, um, there are whole new generations out there that are, that want to become animators and they're jumping into it and they, but they've only learned what they've seen on TV, you know, they haven't studied any of the sort of legacy animation. And I, I got to say, if you're, if you're listening and you're, you're young and you aspire to be in animation, you really do need to go sort of back in time and learn the history and learn, you know, this not is only how they that, do back uh, then. Sorry to interrupt you. Not only that, they need to go watch a lot of that early in it, go consume it too. Don't, don't like oh, yeah. study the behind the scenes stuff too, but go consume it and watch how they move. Watch, watch some of the early stuff and see how, see how difficult the movement was before the rotoscope yeah. and look at how yeah. like, tr like how hard it was to create fluid animation before they started tracing over cab Calloway. Uh, yeah. So, you know, like, I think that that's important for, for like, I'm not an animator, I'm not an artist, but I feel like if you're going to do deep research on something, you got to take it back to the beginning of time to wherever, yeah. wherever the origin point is. So you might even need to even go back to Greco Roman <laughs> stuff they had and go back as yeah. far as you can look at, look at all of it. Cause there, there's been, uh, there's even, you know, uh, so I've even went back as far and seen, uh, it was uh, some anthropological stuff where they had seen where they yeah. had done some cave drawings where they had sure. tried to convey motion through yeah. a series of drawings on a cave wall. So, I mean, you, you got to dig, you got to do your research for sure. And yeah. uh, the internet right now is exploded with information. You could yeah. literally like Internet Archive. If there is yeah. like a place that I tell everybody to go to, Internet Archive, archive.org is what the, the website is. If you want to find anything about anything, like for, for, for information to consume, that's a great place to go to go find stuff. Well, and, and that's the thing. It's like I get, you know, I get handed a lot of portfolios and sent a lot of links from people who are trying to break into the industry and stuff. And, and, um, you know, I'll, I'll look at it and it'll be someone who says they really, really super duper want to be in animation. And I'll look at their portfolio and 
it's 500 drawings of Naruto, you know, (laughs) or it's 500 drawings of characters from Owl House or it's, you know, and and that's all great. You know, I look, I had my periods where all I wanted to do was draw Transformers. I, I get it. But there's no Um, range. You got to have like a range. You got to, you got to show a range. Yeah. 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 You can't. And, and and that's the other thing is a, a lot of people are into drawing their, their OCs, their original characters that are characters that they insert into existing shows. And again, nothing wrong with it, you know, have a blast, but you don't show that work to get a job in animation. You no, just, you don't. No, you just don't. don't. And, and you do, you it, look, study Naruto. Naruto is a great show. There's a reason it's been around for so long, but you got to study other stuff too. Because that's the thing. Going back to yeah, you can't limit yourself to anime. You're like like anime is good. Like Japanese anime is great, and I love all the like they have a, a ton and ton of great stuff to consume. But you have to when yeah. you're looking at animation, you have to look at animation the the way I see it. And this is for any like anything that you do. You don't have to just look at where it's done where you live or where right. it's done for what yeah. you like the most. You have to look at french animation because a lot of people absolutely the early french animation it is a lot of revolutionary stuff that brings us to where we're at now a lot of a lot of the techniques and stuff used so like you gotta you gotta look at the international field of things you gotta look at what's being done all over the world and how it's being yeah i mean there's there's a wealth of information out there that literally comes from all over the world and and that's another thing to remember is going back to the nine old men the nine old men the original like Chuck Jones and Chris Freeling from Termite Terrace, all those guys, none of those people went to an animation school. None of them went to an, maybe barely even went to a school. I'm sure some of them probably. A lot of them, a lot of them were architects or a lot of them were illustrators or graphic designers. You know, nobody like the real hotshots probably started out as newspaper cartoonists because that's what the word cartoonist meant back then was you did political stuff. Yeah. Newspaper political. Yeah. You know, all those, and all those guys studied classical art, you know, they, they learned how to draw, they learned how to render, they learned how to, you know, so, so all those guys got in animation, but they had a classical art background. And, you know, that's, that's another thing. It's, it's like I say, you know, yes, draw your favorite characters, you know, have fun with your artwork and stuff like that. But if you are serious about getting into animation, you have to look at it. um, You got to look at the big picture, you know, and that big picture means being influenced, not just by Naruto or the Owl House or or whatever. You can't, you can't like anime being influenced by European animation, being influenced by, you know, just animation from different generations. Yeah. Cause when you're, when you're constructing your portfolio, you can't just pull up to Warner brothers with pictures of just nothing but Naruto. You want to pull up to Warner brothers with pictures of Bugs Bunny, of Yosemite Sam, of Foghorn Leghorn. You want to show them everything that you could do within their IPs. You want to, show them all of that and that i'm again i'm not a part of the industry at all and i don't i'm just talking you know out of the side of my neck but from what i from my perspective and the way i would see it if i was in the industry is you know if you're coming to my studio i want to see what you could create i want to see what you could do within side of my ips what can you draw everything that i have uh it's cool i know that you like i I wouldn't mind seeing a little bit of stuff like what kind of character development you can do like of your own characters but i don't i don't want to see ips from other companies 
I, yeah. I want to see what you could do within my company and maybe what you could do on your own within the scope of right. what we're looking for. And again, that goes back to what we were discussing earlier at the beginning of the show, coloring within the lines and being able to show yeah. what we want, you know, because uh, whenever you submit a resume, you cater your resume to the job you're applying for. You don't that's you don't just throw true. a bunch of stuff at the wall that's not, you know, re- relative to, to the job. You know, you always you, you want to do yeah, that, you want to put raises- out a product for the job. That raises a really, really good point because one of the things that I learned early on was, you know, I thought, well, I'm going to have my portfolio and I can't, I was, you know, good at working in different styles really early on. So I just jammed my portfolio full of a little bit of everything. Well, they don't want to see a little bit of everything. They want to know, can you do what we're doing here? That's it, so yeah. I wound up developing like five different portfolios. It's like, okay, Here's my super cartoony Warner Brothers style portfolio. Here's my Disney port- style portfolio. Here's my, you know, adult animation style. Here's action. Here's like, I had like five different types of portfolios because you really do need to, you know, yes, you should have your one portfolio that's like, here's what I'm capable of. But you, if you are seeking out specific employment, you should have portfolios ready or demo reels ready that are tailored to different styles. So, you know, if you're applying to Warner Brothers, show them stuff that they'd want to see at Warner Brothers. You know, if you are trying to get uh, a job on the new Batman cartoon, don't show them the stuff that you know, you did for Rugrats. Yeah, it's not gonna, it's yeah not if you're doing lie. stuff for Batman, don't pull up with Marvel characters in your portfolio. <laughs> yeah. Well, they won't care about that because as long as it's superheroes, but they need to be able to at least do the math. And yeah, it can't yeah, be yeah, hard yeah. math. It for has sure, to be for like, sure. It's like, oh, okay, you know, you worked on, um, you know, you <laughs> you worked on Paw Patrol, but how's that going to translate? Because we're staffing up for, you know, Transformers Energon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um, it's, uh, you know, and, and again, this, this all sort of ties back into um you know what people think animation the industry is like versus what it actually is and i'm sure most people sort of think well if you can draw then you can get a job it's like no it goes way more complicated than that yeah and that's kind of what uh what i like about this show here that we're doing is there's been i've already in my mind i've already made connections with uh, the other show that i do and with characters and stuff like that because you keep mentioning you've mentioned transformers quite a few times uh <laughs> What's his name? Uh, oh man, I can't remember his name. Uh, Diedrich Bader. He actually uh-huh. does a voice on uh, uh, Transformers Earth Spark. Oh uh, yeah, the, the 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 new one. Yeah, he's actually done seven episodes of that. Uh, Mandroid. Oh, wow. Mandroid is what he plays on that show. But uh, oh. but he also did some characters on King of the Hill too. Which which while we discuss animation, King of the Hill is obviously animated. So we're gonna probably hit tons of the voice like uh, tons of the voice actors are gonna have overlap. You know. Oh yeah. Because yeah. uh, there's a lot of. Uh, uh, actually, we, the episode we just covered recently had. Uh, uh, an early Jennifer Coolidge, uh, at the beginning of her career, she did voice acting on King of the Hill. That's some of the earliest work that she did in the industry was voice acting for King of the Hill. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. I, and, you know, see, again, I, 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 I figure if you probably sat down the average person, they would think that cartoons are made by one person sitting and drawing and another person sitting next to a microphone doing the voice and that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not at all. And uh, 
I've, I've got a voice actor that I'm going to try to bring on the show as well. His name is uh, Jaden Libran. He, uh, he's done some voices on, actually, uh, he, he, he is one of those guys that kind of fell into some stuff like Kismet, you know. He uh, was doing King of the Hill voices during COVID on Facebook. Well, Mike right. Judge happened to come across his King of the Hill voices, his Hank Hill voice. Well, through that, he had his people reach out to that guy, uh, the kid doing King of the Hill voices, and they offered him uh, a, a job for doing voices on the new Beavis and Butthead. So he does voices on it. Wow. So I think he'll be great for us to talk to. He also does puppeteering for Jim Henson Puppets, too. So he'll be great to talk See, that's to. That's the thing. I, I feel like more and more, whether you're talking about voice actors or background designers or directors, I feel like there are a lot of stories of people who kind of got in the industry through a side door, which is, yeah. that's, that's which is, story. that's great. You know, like, uh, I got into podcasting through a side door, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, so it's, uh, it wasn't something that I thought I would ever do, you know, like I've always created content. I've always enjoyed, uh, you know, kind of entertaining and things like that. It's something that I've always been kind of always dabbled in, but, uh, actually doing it was something I never thought, you know, like this. So yeah, it's great. So, uh, uh, in an effort to wrap this one up, uh, is there anything else that uh, you want to add in there or anything like that? Uh, on, yeah, on I mean, just, um, just, you know, uh, everyone, uh, you know, do do your uh, do your old pal F a uh, favor and, um, you know, look me up on Twitter at Fountain Cartoon and uh, head uh, straight over to uh, YouTube and uh, like share and subscribe if you if you follow me on twitter then you'll you know see me uh advertise about 50 times a day to uh follow my my youtube channel fountain cartoons yeah get YouTube. over there and get it all checked out guys uh, at fountain and, cartoons um, you know and and for gosh sakes everyone keep tuning into this show because you know we're kind of in our uh we're kind of working the bugs out and we're kind of in our rough stages here but by golly we have got some A-list guests coming. Uh, you are not going to want to miss out on it. Um, I'm going to be telling stories from the industry here, sort of like the one I told today, but that stories that I won't tell anywhere else. This so, is the only place that you're going to get these very, very, very firsthand stories. We're not getting, yeah. we're not getting a, a hearsay. We're not getting a letter with a story in it. We're not getting emails. Uh, we're not getting direct messages. We're getting it straight from... F right here. This is yep. the only place that you can get it to uh, behind the scenes with the animation industry. Uh, so yeah, everyone yeah. just, just keep, I, I'm the, I'm new. Uh, let you wrap us up. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. I'll uh, see you on social media and uh, you know, as usual, zig zig ah, party people. There you go. So you could find uh, F at fountain cartoons on Twitter and on uh on YouTube there, go give him a follow and subscribe and like, and go, go through and watch his content. Uh, I, I always tell people if you're going to follow, follow and watch the content, uh, follows are cool, but follows with interaction are even better. I don't really, I don't want to have 50,000 follows and only five people interact with me. I want, you know, if I, I want five follows and five people that interact kind of thing. So if you're going to be there, let's get it going. Uh, you could also find us at animation convo on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, whenever the, uh, episodes are aired, cause, uh, this, this won't air for a little while yet. Whenever they're aired, there will be a YouTube channel for you to also go find us at, which will be at animation convo. 
convo. Uh, and as we go and develop and everything like that, uh, F is going to animate him and I. And once, once that stuff gets going, I'll be throwing that out into the atmosphere with YouTube shorts, uh, Instagram reels and TikTok reels for you guys. Uh, yeah, so that's been the animation conversation. We appreciate your time, and we hope that you enjoyed the show, and can't wait to see uh, see what we got cooked up for you guys. Hey guys, you can find us at Instagram and Twitter at Animation Convo. You can find us on YouTube at Animation Conversation. And you can email us at theanimationconversation at gmail.com. Join us again for another animation conversation. This podcast is produced by Rogue Media Network. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.